Amen. It is uh, so good to be with you guys uh, again, just to have the opportunity to come. I, I'm so grateful to be here. And as Clay was saying, it's very important to me that you guys know that uh, I'm a part of this church and that I do love you. And even though I'm gone quite a bit, I've traveled uh, extensively in the past probably year, year and a half, and really traveled a lot here the last uh, uh, two months, and I, I wanted to give you a quick update of about just what's been going on, but, you know, anytime I have an opportunity to come, uh, to speak, and to share, uh, it's special, and I, I'm so thrilled at, at seeing what God is doing. I mean, this is the only place that I've been to, and I've been a lot of places where the church is growing in the middle of the pandemic. Now, listen, I, I believe in Clay and Andrea's leadership. They are incredible leaders, and I honestly don't believe that we know just how great they are. And I'm not trying to exalt them to the place of, of Jesus. I'm just saying you have some incredible leaders that it's clear that the hand of God is upon their life. And you're blessed for that. Not only that, it makes me look like I'm the smartest man in the world. And I really didn't have anything to do with that other than just giving him everything, problems included. But uh, God is obviously working within our church, and the church is growing, and people are coming. And, and, and the truth is, the best is yet to come. So again, like I said, it's special for me to, to just, just to be here and, and to come and to share. Uh, the past two and a half months, I've... Uh, Traveled probably six to seven thousand miles, and uh, that's not easy. You know, a man my size struggles to get on an airplane to sit in the seat made for a child. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who came up with the idea of, of plane airplane seats, but they obviously did not have me in mind when they created them. I mean, I like to go first class, but that ain't happening. Normally, I get to sit, you know, scrunched up like this right here, or I'm doing that to the other person beside me, which I don't really mind because uh, I'm being merciful and, and just not taking all the seat. But, you know, I've traveled probably six or seven uh, mile, uh, 7,000 miles in the last two months, um, been to a lot of churches, probably preached 20 to 25 times. Um, next week, I'm going to be in Ohio. Uh, the week after that, I'll be in Paducah. The week after that, I'll be in, in Barberville. But uh, it's important for me uh, that you know that uh, I'm a part of this church, that my heart is here. I'm thrilled. I'm blessed. I do sit in the back because I don't want to take attention from anybody. Not that anybody would pay attention to me anyways. But, I mean, for me, I, for so long, when you pastor for a long period of time, it's rare that you're able to get into an atmosphere where you are ministered to personally. And so every time I've come, I can honestly say I've been ministered to by the worship and I've been ministered to by the word. And it's just not like that everywhere you go. And I thank God for uh, what he's doing here. I, I do also want to say quickly that I appreciate the, the financial support this church gives. You know, I've only been a part of two churches my entire life, the church that when I got saved, I, I became a part of, and this church. And, and so when you spend uh, all of your you know, adult life or ministry time involved with people for, for such a long period of time, you know, it's impossible to remove your heart from there. And so to, to be able to be a part of what God's doing here in a different role is special. You guys are, are helping uh, us continue the work that uh, we've been doing for years and years. It's just expanding and more and more things are happening. And there's challenges that uh, we're facing with the pandemic. But, but one thing I've learned through this whole thing is that God's in control. You know, it, it's hard to sometimes see the hand of God. That's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Esther, chapter number 4. Um, what I want to talk about this morning is finding purpose in the midst of crisis. You know, I've listened to the last few messages that Clay's been preaching on end times. And, you know, I thought about preaching uh, this morning on turn or burn, but uh, I'm going to be merciful. So I'm going <laughs> to preach mercifully. But, but no, it's important for us to understand that, that even though we, we don't have to know everything that's going on, 
We do know some prophetic events are going to take place. Prophetic events have taken place. And in all honesty, there's no other prophetic event in Scripture that needs to happen before the return of Jesus. The only reason why Jesus has not returned up to this point is that the gospel of the kingdom has not yet been preached in all the world. Because the Scripture says the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world and then the end shall come. So if we want Jesus to come, we have to go. I paused for an amen, but it... So, I mean, not just go into the nations, go into our communities, go into our neighborhoods, go to our neighbors. So, uh, we, we have to go if we want Jesus to come. And, you know, I'm not interested in who the Antichrist is. And I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. You know, when, when the FBI studies counterfeit money, they never study counterfeit money. They only study the real thing. So they know where every single hair is on George Washington's wig. And so they know the real thing so well that they can spot an imposter whenever it shows up. It's easy to spot an imposter when you know what the real thing is. And in terms of the Antichrist goes... If you are walking with the Christ, if you know Jesus in a personal, intimate way, it will be very easy to point out who is the Antichrist. But don't focus on those things. Some people have become an expert in finding out what the devil is doing while remaining ignorant of what God is doing. And if all that comes out of your mouth is negativity and, and grumbling and complaining and fearing and all, it's just because you're focused on the wrong thing or the wrong person. And so we need to look at the scripture here and see what it has to say to us about what we need to be doing and how to discover purpose in the midst of crisis. So Esther chapter number four, we're going to start reading at verse Number 11, if you're there, say amen. Man, I'm going to have to get glasses too. Verse number 11. Let me get this closer where I can see it. The Bible says, And all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called he has but one law, put all to death, except for the one whom the king holds the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these last 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Now, these are verse, verses 13 and 14 are verses that we are mostly familiar with, verse 14, really familiar with. But he says in verse 13, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, notice, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows if you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you for being in the house of God. Help us to have our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open, and receive revelation and understanding like the sons of Issachar. They had understanding of the times and they knew what Israel was supposed to do. Now more than ever, we must have understanding of the times. Now more than ever, we must know what we need to do. Lord, help us to see you at work in our world much like you were at work in Esther's world in this particular passage of Scripture. Teach us the truths that we need to hear 
to set us free from the lies and the deceptions and the fear that we've been focused on that is spewing out of every media outlet, social media, mainstream media that has consumed our nation and our world. God, at the end of the day, you have the final word, and God, you are the one that is in control. So help us to align our hearts and minds with you and what you're saying to us in this hour. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... I want to talk about Wake Up Esther, finding purpose in the midst of crisis. Now, in the book of Esther, we're familiar with the verse that who knows if you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. We, we quote that a lot. You hear it preached a lot. But, but in the context of what's happening, in reality, the book of Esther is really about the Jewish people who actually missed the will of God for their life a generation prior to this book being written. In other words, God was moving, but they didn't recognize that God was moving. God was wanting to bring deliverance to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people, but they, they missed out on the opportunity that God had placed in front of them. It's very important for us to commit ourselves to doing the will of God. We, it's very important that we see how important the will of God is for all of our lives because, listen, when we are outside of the will of God, it doesn't just affect our lives in a negative way. It affects everybody's life that we have influence over, whether it's our family, our, our wives, our husbands, our, our children. Listen, inside the will of God, there is nothing that you should fear. If you are walking in the center of God's will, there's absolutely nothing that you should be afraid of because being in the middle of the will of God, being in the center of the will of God is the safest place that you could possibly be. I don't, I, I can't remember or I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, Donald, you're going to have to stop going to all these places around the world. You're going to get yourself killed. And I always respond by saying, you know, when it's my time to go, I don't have any particular place where I want to die at. As a matter of fact, when it's my time to go, death is going to have to come look for me because my life's not going to be cut short. My life is not going to uh, be snuffed out prematurely. I'm going to live until I finish the work that God's called me to do. Listen, there's a difference between dying and finishing. You know, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He finished. Paul didn't die. He finished. David didn't die. He finished. When Jesus hung on the cross and he was crucified for our sin, he doesn't cry out from the cross, I am dying. He cries out, it is finished. Paul did not die. He finished. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I have finished the race. David didn't die. The Bible says after he served the purpose of God in his generation, he fell asleep. So when I want to go, I just simply want to fall asleep regardless of the events that surround my time to go. And I want to open my eyes in the presence of God. But dying is not the same as finishing. But in this particular book, we find that the Jews have missed the will of God. The previous generation did not commit themselves to following God during this particular time. And now, as a result of that, they find themselves in a life and death situation. In Esther chapter 4, what's taking place is Esther is now ascended to the throne. Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle, Esther is a Jewish orphan. She was raised by her uncle. His name is Mordecai. And he is... He heard about a plan that a government official by the name of Haman was devising for the purpose of genocide. So there's a plan to, uh, uh, to exterminate, to eradicate, to, to, to do a genocide on the Jewish people. And so Mordecai hears of this plan and he sends word to Esther. And when he sends word to her, what he does is he warns her. He said, do not think that if you remain silent at this time, 
that you will escape what's going to happen to the Jewish people. I'm paraphrasing here. He said, if you remain silent, if if you don't step into this moment, if you don't fulfill your God-given destiny, your your personal responsibility for being a woman of God and God putting you where you're at at this particular time, if you do not fulfill the purpose and the will of God for your life, he says, you're going to die. He says, you're not going to escape what's going to happen. Neither is your father's house. And then he poses the question. That's a question that he makes. It's not a declaration that he speaks over her. He says, but who knows whether you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as it is. So, by all indications, Esther had no clue what God was doing and she had no clue that God wanted to use her life to save the Jewish people. I mean, think about that. Mordecai is praying. Now, the prayer of Mordecai, when you read it in Esther chapter 4, the thing that he's praying about is not what you would think he would be praying about. See, he's aware of the plan. He knows that Haman wants to just completely obliterate and annihilate and, 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 and do a genocide on the Jewish people. So your natural prayer, what you would think would be uh, the, the focus of your prayer would be that God would intervene in this situation, right? And that God would ultimately save the Jews. But in Esther chapter 4, that's not what Mordecai's praying at all. He's not praying that God would save the Jews. As a matter of fact, he already knows that God has got a plan in place to save the Jewish people. So he's not praying that God intervenes and saves the Jews. He's praying that Esther would wake up and fulfill her God-given destiny. Now listen, that was true in Esther's time, and that is true in the church today. If there's ever a time for the church to wake up, to rise up, to stand up, to commit themselves to doing and fulfilling the will of God for your life individually and as a church corporately, it is during these times because this is one of the greatest opportunities to reach people that we've ever had. I will say this, on 9-11, of course we're getting ready to celebrate uh, 20 years, or not celebrate or commemorate, remember the tragedy that took place on 9-11. And everybody knows where they were at on 9-11, right? We know what took place. But after the events of 9-11, did you know more people entered into the church after 9-11 than ever before in our nation's history? There was an influx of people. All the churches were full. They, God had gotten their attention or the event had gotten their attention. And the natural place for people to go in the midst of crisis is to the church, right? But more people entered into the church after 9-11 than ever before. This was a great opportunity for the church to see a harvest of souls like we've never seen before since the birth of our nation. But the problem is... The church had promised much, but when the people came, they were able to produce little. Listen, lukewarm Christians are a bad advertisement for a great God. So we had promised a lot, come and God will give you answers. Come and God will heal you. Come and God will calm you. Come and God will save you. And so what happens is when the people came, all they pretty much encountered was a show. And so the same people that came after 9-11, two weeks later left and never returned. And now less people go to church after 9-11 than they did before 9-11. I'm saying we missed God in that moment. Did God cause 9-11? No. But God was going to use 9-11 to reach people that would have never been reached otherwise. But the church missed their moment. See, the harvest is connected to the crisis. 
Listen, there's no such thing as a crisis in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing. God doesn't panic. If you're worrying, you need to go ahead and go to sleep because God's going to be up all night, but he's not going to be worrying. But why worry if you're going to pray? And why pray if you're going to worry? Pray and let God stay up and worry because he's got this under control. And this is what we see happening in the book of Esther. So Mordecai is praying. He's not praying that God would save the Jews. He's praying that Esther would wake up because this was a defining moment in her life. I believe the same is true for you and I. I believe the same is true for the church here in the United States and the church globally. This is an opportunity to step into a moment where multitudes of people can come to Christ if the church doesn't allow the fear that's being spewed to control their life. So this is what's happening. He says, yet who knows if you come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, there's three things I want to give you this morning that will help us understand how to find purpose in the midst of the crisis. Number one is God's providence. The first thing that we need to know in the midst of crisis, because we're right now, we're, in the, we're, we're living at a time where there is a pandemic going on, obviously, and there's very few answers. The answers that we have had are not necessarily clear enough to help us make a, a good decision. Or the answers that we've got have been revised and now we've got new answers. So there's a lot of things going on. And the, and the natural question is, where is God in the midst of our pandemic? Where is God? God is at work behind the scenes. God is working even when we can't see him working. See, when you read the book of Esther, you'll find out that Esther's a very odd book. The first thing, or one of the first things that you'll notice in the book of Esther is that God is not mentioned one single time in the entire book. I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, you would think that the Bible, you know, God wrote a book, right? The B-I-B-L-E. He says the book for me. Anyways. But God is not mentioned one single time in the entire book. But just because God is not mentioned in the book doesn't mean that he's not at work in the world. I want you to be encouraged by that. God is providentially working behind the scenes in your life, in my life, in our community, in our nation, and in our world. And he is moving whether we recognize it, whether we can see it, or whether we are connected to it or not. God's providence is at work. Now, what does the word providence mean? I'm glad you asked. Providence means God is taking everything that he's created, both visible and invisible. He's taking every event that's happening, the ones that we are aware of and the ones that we are not aware of, and he is using all of these things to ultimately bring to pass his divine purpose in that particular hour. So what I'm submitting to you is, even though we may not see God moving like we wish we would, or maybe even though we're looking at our nation and we're uh, looking at the COVID numbers and we're looking at this and we're looking at that and we're looking at everything except the Bible. Listen, one of the greatest keys to being set free from fear is read the Bible more and watch the news less. Now, I know that that's deep and theological, but you know, everybody's a Christian until you get biblical. You know what I'm saying? Because there's some people that think God watches Fox News. They think God is a Republican. Listen, I don't care who's in the White House. God is in control. And it's easy to see who's not focused on God simply because they freak out. Because of the election. Listen, my hope was for this nation was never in Donald Trump in the first place. And it's not in Joe Biden either. 
My hope is in Jesus Christ alone. What we need in this nation is Jesus <laughs> and a whole lot of him. But God is at work. God's not abandoned us. God's at work and he's taking everything that he's created, visible and invisible. Everything that is happening, taking place that we're aware of and that we're not aware of. And he's using that all together for the purpose of ultimately fulfilling his divine will at this particular time. So God is going to work it out. God is working behind the scenes. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. Hopefully this will encourage you a little bit. But you and God have made it through 100% of the worst days of your life. I don't care how many bad days you've been through. If you're sitting here today, God has brought you through. And sometimes God will bring us out. And sometimes the only way out is through. But whether God brings us out or whether God brings us through is irrelevant you're going to make it. You know, it's been said that even the snail made it on the ark by perseverance. So God's name's not mentioned in the book, but God's at work in Esther's world. Now, what kind of world is Esther born in? Well, Esther is born in a period of time and in a place where her people are predominantly not the major influence in the culture. As a matter of fact, Esther is a Jewish orphan who is born in Iran. As a matter of fact, the scripture says she was born in Shushan. That's about 65 miles east of Tehran, Iran. And just like a Jewish person would not be welcomed in Iran today, that was the same kind of world that Esther was born into. She became an orphan. She was raised by her uncle. But God is working behind the scenes. Listen to this. This is the most absurd story in the Bible. Okay, listen. God is working behind the scenes. And so by divine providence, Esther is born in Shushan. Tehran, 65 miles from Tehran, Iran. She's a Jewish orphan. She's born in the Islamic world. And God is going to raise her up. She's going to marry the president of Iran. And then she's going to ultimately become the queen of the Islamic world at the time. That's today's translation. Listen, that does not happen. Okay? That is absurd. That is crazy. And listen, by all indications, she had no clue that God was raising her up at this particular time to step into a moment of destiny. Esther needs to wake up. She's not aware that God's at work. But listen, you would think that she would at least have a, a light bulb go on. Like, what do you do? Somebody should at least ask her sister. What do you think you're doing being married to the president of Iran when you are a Jewish orphan. Listen, only God can do something like that. But she doesn't know what God's doing. You know, she is in the palace, sitting on her royal backside, working through Instagram and Snapchat, taking selfies, posting them, doing the duck face or whatever else people do. Mordecai hears from God and he sends word to her and says, stop, get off of social media. Shut down your Snapchat account. Get off your royal backside because what do you think you're royalty for in the first place? And all of a sudden, the light goes on. All of a sudden, she realizes, this is why I'm the queen. This is why I'm royalty. This is why I am in the position of influence at this particular time because God is going to use me to save my people. I, I believe the Holy Spirit is saying the same, same thing to you and I that he was saying 
to Esther at that time. You are where you are right now. You've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as it is. If the devil could have killed you, he already would have. But the fact that you are alive today, that your heart is beating, that you have breath in your lungs, if you've got a pulse, God has a purpose. And you need to wake up to that. So God is at work. It's really irrelevant what you think about yourself. See, that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel. You know, the gospel doesn't just set us free from what other people think about us. The gospel sets us free from what we think about ourselves. Some of you are so insecure and you feel so inferior that it's very difficult for you to believe that God could use somebody like you. Well, you know what? You need to get delivered from self. It's not even about us. Listen, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. It's not about what we have to offer God. It's about what God has to offer us. He said, you know what? You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Listen, you've been called. You've been chosen. You've been anointed. You've been appointed. And listen, you will always be a bad version of somebody else. God hasn't anointed you to be somebody else. He's anointed you to be you, and you are where you're at today for such a time as this. So wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Listen, you're not just at church. You're not just in a church service. As a matter of fact, if you're just going through the, the motions this morning, it's because you've not connected with God. You've not connected with God's purpose. This is an exciting time to be alive. Is there danger? Absolutely. But the true freedom comes when you realize you don't belong to yourself anymore. How many of you meant it when you gave your life to Jesus? Then guess what? You don't belong to yourself anymore. See, it's one thing to say, Jesus, I give you everything. It's another thing for him to take it. The good thing about hitting rock bottom like me is that when I hit rock bottom, I had nothing to give. And everything good in my life right now, I didn't earn. I don't deserve. Listen, I can die today a happy man. God's blessed me. I'll be married 21 years to a beautiful woman next Thursday. I've got five beautiful, happy, healthy children. My life is good. But if God doesn't do another thing for me, if everything I've got is taken away, it was never about what I have. It's always been about who I have. When you have Jesus, you have everything. So Esther needs to wake up to the divine providence of God. She's a Jewish orphan. She, God's raising her up to be married to the president of Iran. God is doing some incredible things. This is providence. This is sovereignty. And what God is saying to Esther and to the Jews is, I'm about to show you that I've got all of this under control. That's a word from God for somebody this morning. God, if your heart is overwhelmed with anxiety, with fear, with worry, with if you're struggling just to, to have just a, a normal pattern of thinking, listen, this stuff didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Better days are ahead. That's not just fluff. And again, you've made it through 100% of the worst days you've experienced up to this point. And listen, God didn't bring you this far to leave you where you're at. God has brought you to the kingdom for such times as this. Here's the second thing. Second thing is God's plan. First thing is God's providence. If we're going to discover purpose, we have to understand that God's at work. But if you're like Esther and you're clueless about what, is, what God's doing and how God wants to use you to make a difference in the world during this time, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to connect with God. God is at work. He's at work in your life. But 
Not only is God at work, God has a plan. How many knows that God's a genius? I've questioned that a few times. Because when I first got saved, I mean, again, being called to preach, you think knowing the Bible would be a prerequisite. I mean, I didn't know the difference between the book of Job or the book of Job. I mean, I'm not lying. I'm serious. And I remember God's calling me to preach, and I'm sitting here thinking, God, I've not even stopped cussing yet. It took me a year. I'm not even joking. I cussed so much. I use cuss words as adjectives. I didn't cuss to be seen or to, you know, put on a show. I cussed to describe things. Look at that big old. I cussed in front of my pastor one time. That's no lie. Some of y'all are still cussing right now. For you cussing Christians, here's God's plan. But God's got a plan. So what is God's plan? We know God's in control. That means God is sovereign, right? Now, some people believe that God is so sovereign that everything's God's will. But there's a Chinese word to describe that, fui. There's two words to describe that in English language, stupid. God is sovereign, but God's sovereignty does not remove our personal responsibility. God has a plan, and guess what? God's plan involves you. Esther was God's plan. Mordecai was God's plan. The Jews were God's plan at this particular time, and God was going to use them to reach that entire nation when everything's said and done. Esther was God's secret agent. God had hidden Esther in the palace. And again, I mean, Esther was a great woman, but Esther needed help. She wasn't even aware of why she was there, right? Scripturally, she didn't, somebody had to tell her. We all need a Mordecai in our life to help us along the way. But she was clueless. She, she didn't know why she was there. But when she discovered why she was there, she was ready to get involved, even if it cost her her life. See, Christ alone can save the world, but Christ cannot save the world alone. God has so committed himself to man that he had to become a man to redeem man. God has always used man. Esther was God's plan. Men are God's method. When God wanted to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, the, the children of Israel prayed 400 years for God to send a deliverer. When God answered their prayer, the answer to their prayer was a man. His name was Moses. When God wanted to save Nineveh, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to a man. His name was Jonah. Every time God wants to do something, he is committed in his sovereignty not to act sovereignly. He's committed in his sovereignty to use man. He's committed in his sovereignty to use prayer. Now that ought to Bring the fear of God in you. Why? Because what you do matters. And what you don't do matters. Even in the midst of Christ. Listen, Esther and the Jews were facing genocide. They were going to kill them all in a short amount of time. If Esther didn't step into that moment. But Mordecai understood. He said, you know what? God's got a plan B. He said, if you do not speak out during this time, relief and deliverance will come from another place. In other words, God will replace you and me. But when God replaces us, it will not remove us from the consequences of our inaction. And here's how I know that's true. Because he said, you know what? God will use somebody else 
to fulfill this plan, but you and your father's house are going to die. How important is doing the will of God for your life? It's a matter of life and death. So you should take every single day extremely serious. God don't need me. He don't need any more short, fat, bald-headed dudes. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. Just like you didn't have to be here today, you get to be here today. And if you felt like this was an obligation to you, or if you felt like this is just something you do to make yourself feel better, your spiritual nine-to-five thing, then you know what? You're here physically, but you're absent mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Esther was in the palace, but she was disconnected from purpose. I wonder how many people in here, you're in the palace, you're disconnected from purpose. And this crisis is happening to reveal God's purpose and plan for your life. God's plan is different than God's purpose. God's plan are the steps that he's going to take and the people he's going to use to accomplish his overall purpose. God's purpose is the end result of what he had planned to do in the first place. And that involves you and I. So God's plan, Esther, was God's plan. Now think about it. She's in the palace by a divine act of God's sovereignty and providence. You know how she got to become queen, right? The king got drunk. Think about this. Crazy. I love the Bible. I can relate totally. I've been the king a few times. That's not necessarily a good thing. But the king gets drunk, and he calls for his wife. Tell her I'm going in there. And she says, I'm not going to talk to that drunk fool. I'm not going to that party. Forget this. And what happens? King says, get out of here. He divorces her. And so the king is a little bit disturbed because he doesn't have a woman and he feels like he got to have a woman, right? I don't know why, but he feels like he needs a woman. Anyways, somebody comes up with a brilliant idea. Let's have a beauty contest. So everybody comes out in their string bikinis and they're modeling out. But the difference between Esther and the rest of the women is that she was preparing for this moment. She had been brought to the kingdom for such a time. She didn't really know it, but she was being prepared. See, when your preparedness connects with God's purpose, God's will is accomplished. So she was prepared for that moment, whether she realized the enormity of that moment or not. And so the king chooses her. So she becomes queen because the king got drunk, divorced his wife, she looks good. He says, I want her. She comes. She becomes the queen. That's what happened. It doesn't, even sound, it doesn't even sound like a big deal. It doesn't even sound spiritual. But it was divine providence. Because Esther was God's plan. You know what? I've been around the world and I found out that some of God's best men are women. God was going to use Esther. So this was God's plan. When she realized she was the queen for a reason, that she was in the position she was in for such a time as this, the whole point of what I'm saying is the door of destiny oftentimes swings open on small hinges. Big things can happen as a result of you being faithful with little things. Being faithful with little things is a big thing in the eyes of God. So when it comes to fulfilling your destiny, your destiny is not fulfilled but because of chance. Your destiny is fulfilled because of choice. She had a choice. Why? Because God's plan was to use her. She could choose to step into that moment. She could choose to walk away from that, run away from that. And a lot of people, that's what they do. They run away from the call of God. I'm going to finish it up with this. But Esther was brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. The last thing is God's purpose. Now, I think everybody can agree this is pretty obvious. 
that it was God's will to save the Jewish people, right? It was God's will to save Mordecai, right? He's a Jew. It's God's will to save Esther, right? But was that all God wanted to do? No. See, God not only wanted to save the Jews, God wanted to save the world. But God was going to use the Jews to save the world. Think about it. The Jew, Esther knew God. Mordecai knew God. The Jewish people living in exile in the Persian kingdom, the Persian empire, they knew God. But the people that were from the Persian empire knew nothing about God. They never met God. They want to meet him. They want to know him. They just don't know and They've not had the chance just yet. But God's put everything in his place. And when God's got all of his players in the right spots, God flips the switch and he uses the drunk king and the beauty contest and the exile and the palace and the royalty and all of the things that make absolutely no sense in Esther's life. And all of a sudden she's thrust into that moment of destiny. And yet... What would she do? How would she respond? God just didn't want to save the Jews. He wanted to save the world. Look, look, look at this. I first read this, it blew my mind. And many people became what? Now, I thought you had to be born a Jew to become a Jew. Because this is pre-New Testament, right? Now they could get involved in all the feasts and all of the festivities and all the things that, that, that took place, but that would never make them a Jew, just one outwardly. But as a result of the chaos, as a result of the crisis, as a result of, of all the stuff that's taking place, God has used all of that to bring the harvest in. That's God's ultimate purpose in the book of Esther. He wants to bring many people from the land to become Jews. Now, hopefully you're seeing the big picture now. It's not just about Clay County. It's not just about Manchester. It's not just about Kentucky or the United States. It's about the world. For God so loved the world. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. The Bible says God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering toward usward that no man would perish, but all would come to the knowledge of the truth. So if it's God's will for them to be saved, then it must be God's will for us to take responsibility and tell them. How can we say we love him and are indifferent to them. And it's easy in today's world to become indifferent. See, here's our problem. When you get saved and you're in church for a while, it's very easy for us to forget the condition our life was in before we met Jesus. And as a matter of fact, that's the greatest crisis in a Christian's life. Greatest disappointment is for God, for them to forget how far God had brought them from. But church has a culture, for some reason, that causes us to become indifferent and apathetic to people who are dying and going to hell every single day. While this pandemic is going on, there's still yet another crisis that's been going on much, much longer. Did you know in the state of Kentucky that the drug overdose death rate increased 49% in 2020? Almost 
2,000 people died of a drug overdose last year. That's the highest number ever recorded in the state of Kentucky for drug overdose deaths. That's over five and a half people a day. That's almost 38 a week. Almost 164 people a month. Where's the outrage for that pandemic? Have we forgotten it? Have we forgotten them? Go to the next slide for me. The last one, please. Where the reality of hell is absent, the burden for souls is lost. So quickly, let me tie this in to how that should affect us personally. I want you to walk away knowing what your responsibility is and then be able to take responsibility for your actions, okay? Number one, God's, God's providence. What, what do I need to know about God's providence? Well, here's what I believe. God is at work in the United States. God is at work in, in America. God's at work in the courthouse. God's at work in the White House. Regardless of who's, God's at work in our world. And if you're not aware of what God's doing, then what you need to do is this. You, you need to wake up to the reality that this is happening. I just gave you some personal statistics that ought to provoke you. God's plan. Just like Esther was God's plan, you were God's plan. And God's sovereignty doesn't excuse us from personal responsibility. So if you don't know what you should be doing, you ought to be beginning to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? And if you want to be in the will of God 10 years from now, do the very next thing the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Why would God give you another instruction if we didn't obey the last instruction, right? God's purpose. God's purpose. It's just like there were people scattered out all through the Persian Empire that he wanted to save. And he wanted to use Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews to do it. The same is true in this community. What good is it if this church becomes the biggest church in Manchester and within driving distance of this church are tens of thousands of people going to hell? I mean, I'm thankful for what God is doing. Let me tell you something. God saves sinners to save sinners. But in the 1300s, there was something far greater than this COVID pandemic that happened. It's called the bubonic plague. You familiar with it? It was so severe that it killed 25 million people in five years. HIV AIDS has killed 25 people, 25 million in 25 years. But the mass death was so great that they started running out of grave space to bury all the dead people. So what they started doing is they started burying people one on top of the other. And as they started burying them, when they would open up the casket of the previously dead body that they buried, they'd find something underneath the coffin that horrified them. The lining in the top of the coffin had been pulled down. And in other words, what happened was they were buried alive. See, some of the symptoms of the plague was that they weren't necessarily dead, they just looked like they were dead. And so they buried some people alive. But once they discovered that, they changed what they were doing. They started burying people. They, used to, they had, had to burn entire villages, entire cities. They drilled a hole in the top of the coffin. They put a bell on a piece of string. They run the string through the top of the coffin and they tied it to the person's wrist. And the reason they did that is because just in case accidentally they buried somebody alive, that person could move their wrist and they would hear the bell. You've heard the motto, saved by the bell, right? That's where they got it at. Now, can you imagine walking by a cemetery in the 1300s 
in the dark and all of a sudden it's like clay did you hear that nope we need to walk a little bit faster I mean, could you imagine that? But, but let's say, for example, you hear the bell ring and you look up and you see the tombstone or you see the plaque that's on the ground and the bell is ringing and that's where your mother's buried. That's where your father's buried. That's where your child is buried. Would it change the way you responded? Would it change the way that you felt? Would it provoke you to the point to do something I mean I know what I would do I would run as fast as I could and I would dig with my hands as fast as I could and I would try to get them out as quickly as possible but the scripture tells us in the book of Jude saving some pulling them out of the fire every day you walk by half dead people and the bell is ringing. And because you have become so calloused and so indifferent, and in America we become so self-consumed because we're on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and we, we have our life to live and we're living our best life now, we become indifferent that every day we walk past half-dead people that need to know the God that you know. Oftentimes, dry eyes are the reflection of a hard heart. Stand with me. I'll pray and I'll turn this over to Clay. Here's what I believe. I believe God is working in this room. And maybe you're here and you don't know God. You know about God, but you don't really know God personally. Or maybe you were raised in church, but you've never had a personal encounter with God. And today God is speaking to you and he's saying, you know what? You need to wake up and realize the condition of your soul. That if you die in this condition, you'll be separated from me for eternity. That's what happened to me when I hit rock bottom. See, rock bottom's not a bad place to be if you start to look up and find out where your help comes from. I know hell's not a popular subject, but Jesus talked three times more about hell than he did bragging about heaven. And if heaven is a real place, then what we do or what we don't do matter. And you're here today, and what, what are you basing your eternal destiny on? What somebody told you? A prayer that you prayed? Listen, the, the Bible says the demons believe in God. And they tremble. But demons can't be saved. So my question to you is, do you know without a shadow of a doubt? Do you know with 100% insurance? Do you know and know that you know? The Bible says, make your calling and election sure. If it's not sure, then you need to do that today. So if God's speaking to you on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. You don't have to bow your head or close your eyes. I just want to know you're here. I won't come at you. I just want to see God work. I believe he's working. On the count of three, if you know you're not right with God and you need to make things right with God, just shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Amen. 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 You can do that today. As a matter of fact, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. It says tomorrow's promise to no man. Life is but a vapor. It's here one day and it's gone the next. Don't leave here without getting things right with God. And if you don't know how to do that, there'll be somebody at this altar ready to pray with you. Now to those of you that are saved, do you have a burden for the half-dead that are just outside these walls? Do you have a burden for those that are broken, that are drug addicts, 
or have you lost that? It's easy for that to happen. Let me pray for you. Father, you're at work in the lives of those that are saved and unsaved. And first of all, I pray that you would bring those that are not saved, that were honest enough to say, I'm not right with you. I pray that you would bring them to a place of prayer and that God, that they would encounter you and that they would be able to surrender to you and they would leave knowing and know that they know that things are right between you and them and their eternal destiny is secure. I ask God for those that are here that are saved, that have been in church for a while. I pray that you set us free from the things that we've been entangled in. All the mess, all the crisis, all the panic, all the fear, all the stuff going on in the world. God, we're so aware of what the devil's doing. God, we want to know what you were doing. You're at work. And so God, give us that kind of heart. Give us the kind of heart that the sons of Issachar had, that they had understanding of the times and they know what to do. Now, Lord, I pray that you bless Clay and Andrea and this church as they are leading a charge. You're doing great work. But I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't become satisfied with a full building of people, with multiple services, that, Lord, that their heart would always beat for those that are dying and need to know you. Father, pray your blessing upon them and upon this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen.